Honored to go to the phone lines to spend up some time with a good friend of mine and somebody who knows college football inside and out. Always a pleasure when I get to see him in a press box. It's Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart. Tony, how are you, my friend? Chris, I'm doing great. I, I just can't believe we're getting after this week. The season is going to be half over, which is hard to believe. You know, Tony, I don't know about you, man. I don't know where all you've been. We haven't had a chance to cross paths yet this season. But does it not feel like when you're out there right now at some of these games that we're in the middle of July? It's just been scorching hot. It has been. It's, it's funny you bring that up. I was talking to my mom. Uh, she's 86, and she, she said, you know, son, it, it's always gotten cool, but I'm not sure about this year. Uh, <laughs> it has been incredibly hot. I've been to a couple of games in Georgia and some other places. I've been looking at the weather. I think we're going to finally start getting a break at the end of this week. Knock on wood. But then, yeah, it, I don't see how the players do it, and I really don't see how the fans do it. Now, Tony, uh, you've seen a lot of good Georgia football teams. What jumps out to you about this one? I, I was there with Kirby in the preseason, spent a day there, and and he, you could tell then in talking to him and seeing them that, that they were going to be physical and they were going to be good and Watching them in that Notre Dame game, the physicality that they played with, what about this team do you like the most? Chris, I, I think Georgia is one of the most complete teams in the country. I mean, every team has their strengths and weaknesses and all that, but when you look at the offensive line, which may be the best in the country, when you look at a veteran quarterback like Jake Fromm, who I thought was just great against Notre Dame, some of the throws that he made. Uh, you look at DeAndre Swift, and, you know, they really go four deep in quality running backs and a defense that's getting better all the time. I just think it doesn't really have any real weaknesses, and uh, Georgia's a team that can go real long way. Tony, you, you've seen this Tennessee football program at its best. You were there in the desert when they won it in 98. Uh, you were there – for it seems like a ton of games when they were a perennial top 10 team even for someone who's been around the sport as long as you have how sobering is it to see how far this program has fallen and how much of a rebuild is it for Tennessee if they're going to dig their way out of where they are right now well it, it's been it's been hard to watch because as you said I've, I've covered a lot of Tennessee football over my career and I just remember how good they were for so long under under Philip Fulmer. But when you sit, you know, Chris, quite honestly, when you watch them play now, you just don't see the difference makers. They're just they're just not out there. And when when Jeremy Pruitt took the job, I think it was clear to everybody who follows Tennessee that it was going to be a major rebuilding. Just to get the roster built back up. Just to have some depth. And Tennessee, quite honestly, there's nothing magical about this. They simply don't have the players they've had in the past. Tony, it's Austin Price. You talk about not having the players. Everybody, you know, preaches patience, but nobody wants to be patient. How, yeah. how do you walk that line? It's very, very difficult. You've got to have the right people in place from a leadership standpoint, and I think they certainly have that in Philip Fulmer. But it's got to be somebody who understands the game, who understands that this doesn't happen in two years or three years. It takes three or four years of stacking recruiting classes on top of each other. Just look at what Alabama has done. Look at what Georgia has done. Look at what LSU has done. That is that is what you have to have. And so it's, it's, it, is, it is very difficult. But if you, if you don't have the leadership, you get into this 
this cycle of you bring a coach in, he coaches three years, you fire him, and you start all over again. That's a vicious cycle, and Tennessee's in it right now. How important is it, do you, th- you, know, do you think, to, to, to show patience and not only do that, but you know, kind of commit to the, to the long-term plan here? Because, I mean, as you said, it's easy to fall into that three-year cycle. I mean, you look at Derek Dooley's second year. He had a mass exodus after year two of his coaching staff. Everybody kind of knew he was coaching for his job the next year, so it kind of made it hard to hire quality assistant coaches. I mean, you know, you know, it's kind of like you know the coach that you know has a two-year deal. It's hard to recruit players because everybody uses it against you. Well, he's only got two years left. He's only got two years left. Um, how, how do you do? You think that's the right move here? Is is to you know show? I mean, no matter what the outcome is, the next few weeks when they're playing Georgia and Alabama, to show that hey, we're going to stick with this and, and for the long term. Well, you, you've got to believe in the coach. You've got to believe in his staff. You've got to believe in the system that they're they're doing. But I, I, yeah, I think that's the way you have to go unless you are totally convinced that this coach and these coaching staff is not going to get it done. Or the play, the, the the key is: are the players still listening? And as as uh, an athletic director, administrator, you've got to have your ear to the ground on that sort of thing. And uh, players have still got to have confidence in the staff. If you lose that, that's when you have to think about making a change. Let's flip it to the other side. You know, Jim Chaney comes over as the offense coordinator at Tennessee this offseason. James Coley gets promoted. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Coley's, you know, start to his uh, tenure as the OC at Georgia? Well, I, I, I think the guys has done a very, very good job. You can watch him play. They, they, I thought they played well the other night against uh, Notre Dame. They did what they had to do. They didn't take a whole lot of chances. And I think as a staff, Georgia went into that game saying, you know what, over the course of four quarters, we're going to wear these guys down. They don't have the depth that a lot of the premier SEC teams have, and that's exactly the way the game turned out. Tony, I, this is Chris again. I, you know, As I watched a month in, five weeks in, what, what have you, boy, there looks to be a clear, clear separation, not only in the SEC, but in a lot of ways in college football. When's the last time you remember four teams, or maybe five, in the SEC, and then this wide, wide divide, and then everybody else the way it looks to be this year? Oh, it's absolutely there. There's no question about it. Uh, you just take the four teams that are ranked really high, and the gap between them. The top half of the league is pretty good. Uh, the top, actually, the top four teams are really, really good, and the bottom half is just not very good at all. I haven't seen this much of a gap. I can't remember the last time we had this much of a gap. Yeah, and, and then you look at other teams. I got a chance to watch a lot of the Ohio State game last night. And, boy, they look like a complete football team. Now, I know how good Nebraska is, but that sure was an electric environment to start that game. But I remember, and you saw him last year. You saw him. You saw Justin Fields. But I remember being up there with Ryan Day this preseason, and there was a twinkle in his eye about what this kid could do. He is a difference maker. And to use your word, as you talked about the Tennessee football program, Justin Fields, when you start talking about schools outside the SEC and certainly Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma, to have those kind of difference makers at the quarterback position really makes a difference, doesn't it, Tony? It does. You just, quite honestly, you cannot be average at the position anymore. You used to be able to get by with a game manager and running and playing good defense. But now, listen, you got to score in the 30s, somewhere in the 30s, maybe low 40s to consistently win now. And it's been one of the biggest changes in the game that I've ever seen. 
And you look at Alabama, you know, what Tua Tagovailoa, it's, it's so weird to me. I even told Nick this when I was there in August. I know you've sat down and talked with him too. To see the way they're playing on offense now and to have those receivers, that many receivers, and throwing the football and, and what we're sort of used to seeing from Alabama, them lining up and trying to bloody people's nose. But a lot of that is when that's your personnel and you've got those kind of receivers, four guys that will play in the NFL, and you've got a quarterback back there who's throwing touchdowns seemingly, well, not seemingly, at, at a record-setting rate, you go with what you got. Hey, Tony, there's, you still there? There's no doubt about that. There's no, there's no doubt about that. When, when you talk to Nick Saban, um, he, he, he said, look, look at what we have. <laughs> <laughs> You've got two a time below. You've had make This could be the best group of full wide receivers we've ever seen in this league, and you would be foolish not to take advantage of that. Now, what Coach Saban also knows is there may come a day, maybe it's LSU, maybe it's Auburn, maybe it's Georgia, there's going to come a day when, you know what, we're going to have to run the ball to win the game. Right. And we're going to have to do something. But for now, it's going to work against uh, It's going to work against everybody they play, maybe LSU, maybe Georgia, maybe Auburn, and you've got to start getting ready for those games. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the, the game has changed a ton, Tony. And, of course, um, we've seen it evolve a lot over the last few years, and it is you're exactly right. It's, but you still – two things that don't change – in my mind, if you're going to win a championship, is at some point you got to be able to stop the run and you got to be able to yep. run the football. And Alabama, I was at the South Carolina game, and they they do not look defensively right now. A lot of it's injuries when you lose a Dylan Moses, but tackling and stopping the run, they do not look nearly as dominant dominant as they have in the past. Uh, a lot of football to be played, though, Tony, and we really appreciate you spending your time with us. And uh, thanks. To, you know, I want to tell folks, if you grew up, in the year that we did, you know, radio was where it was. And, of course, I grew up, and I know you did too, Tony, listening to Larry Munson and John Ward and Jim Fife on the radio. So, you know, in the 60s and 70s and even in the 80s, uh, very few games were on college football or were on TV, college football TV. So I would invite fans to go pick up a, a copy of Tony's book, From Herschel to a Hobnail Boot. I'm sure that resonates with people here in Tennessee, The Life and Times of Larry Munson. A great read, certainly if you grew up listening and loving college football in the 70s. Tony, man, we really appreciate your time and love reading your stuff, love seeing you on the SEC Network. And uh, tell Paul Feinbaum, our, our mutual friend of ours, to uh, uh, to be nice, not to be so mean all the time. You be sure to tell him I said that, all right? <laughs> I will definitely tell him that, Chris. <laughs> Tony, thanks, man. We appreciate your time, bud.